Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Angry Environmentalist. I'm super excited to have you all back, or if you're new, I'm so excited for you to join us. Um, if you are new and you want to listen to any of the other episodes, we have episode one and two. Episode one is um, the introduction, and episode two is about fast fashion. And today's is about becoming a wildlife rehabber and the pros and the cons. So first I'm going to start out with like a brief overview of like what a wildlife re- rehabilitate I can't speak what a wildlife rehabilitator is um, what we do and I'm gonna be solely talking about New York State so if you're from another state it might be a little different on how you become one and the rules and the regulations so this is kind of just like an overview of New York State's one so as a wildlife rehabber in New York um, I have the class one license which means it's the basic rehabber license when you're first getting into it. So this is my first year of being a class one rehabber, which is super exciting. Um, So I can rehab small animals and mammals like squirrels, chipmunks, bunnies, things like that, kind of animals like that, and specific bird species. And then there's the class two rehab license, which means like you're a little bit better, you're more experienced, um, and then you can have an assistant under you, which is pretty cool. And then there's different licenses you can get from that, which is like the rabies vector, which means rehabbing species that commonly can be, not commonly, that could have rabies. So skunks, raccoons, um, animals like that. So I want to get my rabies vector eventually, but right now with my training and my schedule, it would kind of be hard for me and I want to be able to put a good amount of time into that because you know you don't want to get rabies so you really want your training to be good when it comes to rabies um, and then another license you can get is more this is more on the federal end it's like migratory bird species marine mammal species protected there's like all these different like protections and rules and regulations for that so it's kind of you're learning about rehab but you're also learning about the different migratory species, the different protected species, and the protocols that come with them. Um, So again, there's all different license and stuff. And I think there's an education one as well, but I'm not not too sure, so I'm not gonna speak about that because I don't know. I don't wanna get myself into something where I'm gonna talk about something I don't know what I'm talking about, you know? So I'm gonna stop it there. But that's, I have the class one. So again, like I said, bunnies, squirrels, um, chipmunks, and specific bird species. But what's also cool is that as a rehabber, you become connected with other rehabbers and veterinarians and people who have different licenses than you. So I, the other day, I just like an example, I got a call for a bird um, and they were like, it's injured, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, do you know what type of species it is? Send me a picture. And I identified the bird when they sent me a picture as a cedar waxwing, which is a protected species. So I said, well, I really can't put care for this animal and rehab this animal, but all the other rehabbers who can take care of the migratory species, it was like eight o'clock at night already. So people weren't answering their calls and a lot of organizations were closed. So I did get in contact with one rehabber who could legally care for this migratory species, but she couldn't get the bird into the morning. So she directed me to just keep the bird for the night, overnight it, and bring it to her in the morning. So I had the bird with me and I got to do things like that. I'll get into the what happened with the bird um, in a little bit, but right now I'm just trying to talk about like things I can do. 
So I wasn't allowed to keep that bird to rehab it, but I was allowed to overnight it and transport it to somebody who could administer care to that type of protected species, which is pretty cool. So like myself, most rehabbers are 100% volunteer. There are organizations, um, I'm sure every state kind of has a few wildlife like rehab organizations that are not-for-profits, but they pay their workers. Some of their workers, I'm sure not all of them, but there's also places that are organizations that have volunteers. So there's all different types of places. As a rehabber on the New York State's list, I am 100% volunteer. I cannot charge people for bringing me wildlife, nor would I want to, because I want we all want to encourage people to step up when wildlife is in danger or injured. Because that's that's my passion, you know? It's my passion. I wouldn't be like, oh, you have to charge me, uh, I have to charge you $100 for the injured squirrel that you brought me, even though you're being a good citizen, you know? <laughs> so a good Samaritan. Like, it's it's things like that. You, you don't, obviously, that wouldn't make sense. That'd be counterintuitive. So, don't charge. It's 100% volunteer. We can take donations, um, which is pretty awesome. I usually just reach out to my, my friends and say, hey, do you have any extra, like, cages or like bird cages for like rehabbing squirrels, you know, so I don't really do donations, like get donations from the general public. I usually just, you know, from my friends or a friend of a friend and sometimes even the Facebook marketplace, I get a lot of my equipment. Um, so that's, that's a little overview of it. And now how do you become one? Well, in New York State, so again, I'm talking about New York State, um, you sign up for a test that's in between, I think it's like one time it's in August and one time it's in April, I believe. I took mine in August. And you take your test, and if you pass, you get your license. Now, so you're like, oh, that's easy. Well, all I have to do is take a test, and then I can just start rehabbing animals. Legally in New York State, yes, I guess that's that's true. But, but would you want to go into a job where you're not prepared for it? especially when you're caring for animals. If you're becoming a rehabber, you clearly love animals. And if you're like, okay, well, I took a test and now I can go rehab these types of animals that are under my license. I'm gonna go do that. Well, now you're not prepared. So mo most of the times people will do it underneath somebody first. They'll learn, they'll learn how to do it. They'll go to an organization, they'll find another rehabber they can be an assistant with, or they can just go and learn. And then they start doing it on their own. So that's kind of what I did. I, I did it with somebody who was licensed to rehab animals. Um, so that was pretty cool, getting to learn, getting to see, getting to, you know, get my, my foot in the door with figuring out how to do it and how to rehab squirrels and different types of birds. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, you, you want to, yeah, you can get the tests and you can go out and do it, but you want to be qualified before you go out into the field, you know, because that would make the most sense. <laughs> like any job, you want to be qualified. Um, so getting that experience, finding somebody, which is pretty easy. You can literally go onto the DEC's list of rehabbers and, you know, email people and they have their email and their phone number. I would recommend emailing them because rehabbers are, unless it's an emergency, you don't want to use the phone. You know what I'm saying? Unless it's a wildlife emergency you don't want to call them or text them because they are busy people. Um, we are busy people. We don't want to get a million calls and texts, you know. So the best, if you want someone to be responsive and want to answer you, I would 100% um, 
email them when you want, I'm talking about not for animals, I'm talking for if you want to learn under them and kind of have them take you under for learning and education. Um, but again, if it's wildlife related, that's what the number is there for. I'll get into that a little later into the episode as to what you should do and the etiquette of calling when you have injured wildlife as well. Because again, we are people, so I'll get into that. So now I want to kind of talk about the pros and the cons of being a rehabber. Um, so I'll do the pros first. You're helping animals. <laughs> That's the biggest pro. You're getting to be like, I, I can't even describe it. You're getting to be friends with all these animals. <laughs> I don't call them friends, but you're getting to, again, you're not keeping them. You're releasing them when they're rehabbed. But you get to see all these different animals, see all these different personalities. You get to feel like you're making a difference. So it's really good with boosting your your mentality and your mental health because you're helping animals that need help. You're helping something that needs you. And I think that's a really amazing feeling, whether that be why people volunteer or whether people think, oh, that's a selfish reason. I don't care. I think it's I think it's a good reason. I think it's good to want to help people. It's good to want to help animals. And even if you're saying, I do it because it makes me feel good, you're doing it still. You're still out there making a difference. So I personally think it's not a selfish reason. I think it's an amazing reason because you're doing something. Another thing that I think is a pro is you get to meet a lot of people. And for me, I'm an environmental science major, so this is kind of my my niche, what I want to do. So it's networking for me, you know? I'm, I'm meeting people, but it's also networking. Um, so I, th I think that's a an amazing thing, you know, networking, getting to meet people, getting to get your name out there. It's, it's amazing and it can be very helpful in your career path if this is what you choose to do. If not, it's just amazing to meet people. <laughs> So I think, I mean, those might just be my pros and like, oh, that's not that many, but those are the big things. And for me, they outweigh the negatives, the cons that I'm about to talk about. Um, so just keep that in mind. If the cons are not being outweighed by the pros for you, then this isn't something that you should do, you know, because these cons that I'm about to speak about will impact mostly everybody. So now here comes the cons. <laughs> So it can be very, very draining, um, getting people to call you all the time. And, and you can choose, in New York State, you can choose to not have your name on the list. So you're just a rehabber that's kind of, people know you by word of mouth. Um, so you won't get as many calls, you won't get the general public to be just bombarding you all the time. I don't mean bombarding in a bad way. I do not mean bombarding in a bad way. I mean, bombarding is in, you're just going to get a lot of calls, you know, you're going to get a lot of things. So I should use a different word, not bombarding. You're going to not get as many calls. <laughs> there we go. Better word. Um, but sometimes people do bombard you and people are rude and mean because not everybody has good intentions. So while it's draining, you get people who are extremely nice to you and then you get the other side of it. People who are mean to you, people who will... If you say, hey, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't get to that animal today, but I can give you to another rehabber, they will say, you're not helpful, what do I call you for, this wasn't worth it, rehabbers are bad, you know, I, I get on the internet all the time, I put my, my name out there, so people, I said, hey, like, if you guys need anything, like, if you need a rehabber, I'm here, that's what we're here for, and I got amazing responses, and then 
this one woman was just attacking me. She was attacking rehabbers. When I explained to her that rehabbers are volunteer, she attacked me and then said, not attacked me physically, she attacked me verbally saying like, you're, you're rude, you're mean, you're dismissive. When I, t I told her to have a good day, I said, okay, thank you. I'm just, have a good day. And I ended it. And she's like, you're dismissive and rude and you're unbelievable and all these mean things. And again, I had people stand up for me because they saw like that. But again, that's, it's really draining seeing that. And some people might be mentally stronger and say, I mean, I believe I'm mentally strong, but some people might be better at this than me and be able to ignore that. Where that kind of, over over time, maybe once that won't bother me, but over time, it kind of, kind of gets you, kind of eats at you and it's like, okay, I guess I'm not doing good, you know, I guess people are right, I shouldn't be doing this, but it's false, you know, you should be doing this if you want to do this, but some people don't understand that we're volunteers and that we have lives outside of this, like I get a lot of calls, like today at work, I got four calls today, and I was at work, and all the people today were super, super sweet when I told them, hi, I'm so, so sorry, I'm at work, um, I get out at five, like, can I help you then, I, I will, if, if you saw the animal or the animal's not in distress where it's dying or it needs immediate care, I, I will try to help you the best I can. And they were all super sweet. They all let me know that they had found other rehabbers or the animal was fine. So that's an amazing feeling. But the one time you get that person that says, oh my gosh, you're no help. It's like, I want to explain to you nicely that this, this is my volunteer work. You know, this is, it's still my passion but it's my volunteer, it's not my job. I need to be able to fund myself. I need to be to fund myself to do rehab work, but I also need to live, you know? <laughs> I need to live just like everybody else. And living in New York, we all know that costs a lot of money. <laughs> so I just saw something, I think it was like New York is like New York City now or something like that is the most expensive city. So great, we love that, <laughs> love to hear that. I don't live in the city, but I live close. So I, I, need to, I need to live too. And some people just, I guess, don't understand that or just refuse to believe that. But that can be extremely, extremely dang uh, dangerous. Um, draining. Not dangerous. I mean, I hope it doesn't get dangerous. But <laughs> it can be really draining. And I think some people just need to learn that we have lives. That's it. So I'm not, I'm not going to go into more. I'm not going to bash people. I'm not Because I love everybody who calls me to ask for help because that means you care. So I'm just going to end it with that, <laughs> on that subject. Um, so another con is when things go south. And sadly, a lot of the times, not a lot of the times, but when you get a really injured animal, they're, you know, it's <laughs> this not the circle of life, but it, I mean, it is a circle of life. They, a lot of the times they do pass away or you're going to have animals that come into your care that you did everything you could and they still don't make it. They still don't make it. And it's not, and learning that it's not your fault, learning that you did everything you could, you know, it's easy for someone to tell you that, but it's so hard to believe it when it happens. Because I really thought I was like, when I got into it, I was like, oh no, I, I'll know I did everything I could. And then I had my first animal pass away, and I was like, oh, like, what? I, I could have done this. I, I could have done this better. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not smart enough in this field. Maybe I shouldn't do this. You know, and I got really down on myself, learning that, being able to learn that, you know, things happen and you're getting injured animals. You know, that's, that's the point of this, this 
this line of work. You're getting injured animals. You're getting sometimes the worst of the worst. And you have to know that sometimes they do pass away. But that is a hard, hard thing to learn and hard thing to cope with. Um, so I'm going to talk about real quick how I cope with that. So for people who do want to still get into it, I'm not scaring you away from it. Um, again, I'm not a mental health professional. I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't work in the medical field at all, but I'm going to say how I cope with it. So it might not work for you and you might need to speak to somebody who is a psychiatrist or therapist, but this is what I recommend. Not I recommend. This is what I do. This is what I do for myself. And if you want to take some things of what I do, feel free, but I'm not recommending anything. Um, sometimes I take a step back. So if I feel like my headspace is a little clouded because something in my life or something with wild life rehab is bothering me, then how can I expect myself to make clear, concise judgments for the well-being of the animals that I'm caring for? So when my judgment's clouded or when my head's cloudy, I feel it's best for myself and for the animal to pass it on to a different wildlife rehabber when people reach out to me. So I'll say, I won't tell them I'm like my whole life. I'll just say, hi, at the moment I'm not accepting animals, but I can help you by passing you on to somebody else on the wildlife rehab list or by helping you transport the animal. You know, I'm not just gonna leave them high and dry. Like I will assist with transport. I just can't care for it. You know, I can't care for the animal it's not safe for the animal and maybe it's not safe for me too you know just in case the animal bites me or the animal is trying to claw, and I call the animal because I don't know which species it is because <laughs> I'm using theoreticals but you know I, I don't want to put anyone or anything at, at danger in danger um, so that's one thing I do and another thing I do is journaling I, I like to journal down like write down what the calls were what the calls I got and why it drained me, how it drained me, and that I did a good job. No matter what, no matter what the person says to me, no matter what happens with the animal when I do my absolute best to rehab it, no matter what, I did the best I could. And sometimes saying that to myself doesn't work, but sometimes writing it down and doing like little like sticky notes or putting it on my phone because, you know, I'm an environmental major. I don't want to waste paper. <laughs> so sometimes putting it down on my phone and reading it and seeing it in its physical form, it makes me feel better. Again, it might not work for everybody, but sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't work for me. But when it does, I feel better faster. So that's kind of a wrap up of the pros and cons that I have. I'm sure other rehabbers have their own that they would love to add. So if you do and you want to have a conversation about it, I'd love to. You can DM me, you can text me, um, you can DM on the Angry Environmentalist um, if you know my rehab number on the list. You can feel free to email me or text me. I'd love to talk about it and have meet more rehabbers and meet more friends and connect and stuff. So now I'm going to get into the general public. This is for the general public now. Um, when you're contacting a rehabber and the etiquette of contacting a rehabber. So first, I know in the moment when you see or you, you're around an injured animal and you see it, it needs attention right away. And I need to call the rehabbers and they need to come now. But please remember that we have jobs outside of rehabbing. And rehabbing is not a job for me. So for some people it is. For me it's volunteer. And I'm sure a lot of other people are volunteers as well. Um, so remember that we have jobs outside of rehabbing. And that, you know, some people wake up early. So if you're going to call someone at 12 o'clock at night, 
you know, they might not answer. Or if they do answer, they're going to be tired because they have worked more. Um, so things like that. Or if they're at their job, you know, during work hours. Obviously, if it's an emergency, a wildlife emergency, and you call somebody, that might be a little different. Um, but I also recommending find recommend finding some organizations that do wildlife rehab that are their work during the day is rehab. Um, but I'm not saying don't call wildlife rehabbers. Just be prepared that some of them might be at work. Some of them might not be. Some people are retired. Some people aren't working at the moment. I mean, everyone has their own individual circumstance. So try a few people, you know. So if it's an emergency, call. If it's something where you just, hey, I see some orphaned animals outside. I'm not sure if mom's coming back or when I say mom, mom animal is coming back or if they're, they're just exploring. I, I don't know what the issue is. Text us. You know, I, I'm at work. I can see a text. You know what I'm saying? I'm still working and I can't, you know, be taking out my phone and ignoring the people that are in front of me when I'm working, but I can, you know, go to the bathroom if I feel the buzz and I know it's a wildlife call. I can, you know, have a little leeway with that. Um, so it might be within an hour or two that I text you back, but that kind of thing. If it's just, you know, something similar to that, but a little less down, maybe you, you just thought you saw something or you think an animal's injured or you have an animal in your possession, which I don't recommend because wildlife rehabbers should be the only ones taking wildlife in. But if you happen to have an animal and you shouldn't have in your possession and you think it's fine for now, you know, message or email because our text and our email is on there. Our phone number and our email is on there. Um, wow, I sound like my mom. My mom says her text, not her phone number. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, but okay, so going on to the next thing, you know, just remember there are people too. Um, if the animal's injured, so this is my personal belief, if the animal's injured from a natural predator, leave it be. You know, I know it's so hard and it's hard for me to say that too because sometimes I'm like, wow, I just saw, you know, in my backyard, I saw a fox pounce on a chipmunk and, you know, my rehabber instincts and my animal lover instincts are like, go save that chipmunk. But as a rehabber and as a animal lover, I know that if that squirrel doesn't eat, I mean, the squirrel doesn't eat. Wow. The fox doesn't eat. The fox is going to die too. So, and then if the fox doesn't control the chipmunk population, then the chipmunks are going to take over and their whole ecosystem will be messed up and animals will die, insects will die, and you'll have an overrun population of chipmunks. I know it's just one, but if we all scared the chipmunks or the foxes away or the predators away when they're eating, we'd have a really messed up ecosystem. Um, and humans already mess up the ecosystem. Ding, ding, ding. So, so we should not do any more damage. So if you see something injured from a natural predator, leave it be. That's, that's the circle of life. And I know it's so hard, but it's true. Now, on the other hand, if there's a human-caused accident or there's an accident where your pet gets, in, gets a hold of an animal or a car hits it or someone cuts down a tree and a squirrel falls. Even if a squirrel falls, I think I, I would take that too. Because, um, you know, squirrels falling, while it might be a natural thing, I, I'd still take a, a squirrel like that if it wasn't chased by a predator um, and the predator wasn't eating it. Um, 
But that's different. I would take that. I, I believe that wildlife rehabbing is that. Um, so if there's orphaned animals too, you know, I'd take those too. But remember, the circle of life kind of thing. Don't scare a natural predator away because you don't want to see something get eaten. Because that is the circle of life. And I would recommend you go watch Lion King. Okay? That's, I'd recommend that if you want to save every single being. Because that was me. And I watched Lion King like five times. And now I'm a wildlife rehabber who just said what I said. So, okay, next thing. If the animal is okay, I kind of just said this, but I'm going to go into it again. If the animal is okay at the moment, just leave a voicemail. You know, calling 10 times isn't going to make me pick up any faster. I'm just going to probably be more annoyed. And I'm sure a lot of rehabbers feel the same way. If you call 10 times or you leave a nasty voicemail, we're less likely to want to help. I want to help that animal, but I don't want to listen to you scream at me because I'm a person. don't want to be screamed at. I want to be treated like the person who's going to come take an animal that's injured. That's it. That's all I want to be treated. I don't want to be treated like a queen, you know, because I'm not. <laughs> I am just a wildlife rehabber doing what I signed up to do. But I don't want to be treated like crap either. So kind of respect thing. Next one, be respectful. Rehabbers, we try our best. But at the end of the day, we are people. So don't leave nasty comments on the internet about us. Um, adding whoever did that to me. <laughs> but don't leave, don't, don't degrade individual people or wildlife rehab work as a whole. Because that makes people not want to help, they get to call for help, you know? That makes people think, well, oh, I heard rehabbers were bad. You know, that no, don't do that. Don't, don't make it, and if you say you're an animal lover and you do that, are you an animal lover? Because you're putting all these animals at risk now that people, the people who aren't gonna call now, you're putting those animals at risk. So don't do that, please. <laughs> please don't do that. That would be very nice if you didn't do that. And lastly, the thing I want to talk about is don't touch wild animals. If you see an animal needs help, there are people like myself and other trained, highly trained individuals who can take and care for wild animals. But you don't know the situations. As a rehabber, we learn about the situation and how to assess a situation to see if an animal is actually injured or orphaned. So I had an example of I get many times. Um, bunnies are kind of my thing. I'm always, I've had bunny, like little bunnies outside my house when I was little. Um, and I watched from afar and if they'd run to the street and couldn't get back up, I'd lift them back up and put, like, put them where they were going. Um, but I would never take them inside if I saw one. You know, I always knew that bunnies, their mom comes back only twice a day for about 10 minutes to feed both in the morning and at night. So many people think, oh, that, that animal's orphaned. But if you don't know the species and the, the characteristics of the care that the mom gives, and you don't know about the care that the mom gives and how often they come back and the protection, then you might be, oh, they're orphaned. I'm going to take them. And I'm not bashing anyone right now. I'm not bashing anyone. I'm just giving some information. You know, I'm, thank you for wanting to help, but sometimes when we want to do something, like when we we think we're helping, we might be making it worse for that animal. And I'm guilty of that. I'm completely guilty of that when I didn't know about this. Um, you know, I would want to hold a bunny, I'd want to do something with it, or 
like, oh, it's, it needs help, it needs my help. Sometimes wildlife, that's just how it is, you know? Sometimes the animal will just be out there and you're like, that's a baby, it's too small to be out there. But it's completely okay, you know? And when we take it away from the home, now we're endangering the ecosystem. Now we're messing up with the mom's behavior because she thinks all of her kids are gone, you know? And she just went through that breeding process and she went through the the whole having a baby process and now the baby's torn away from her. So sometimes it's just leave the animals go and call somebody who who can help. Um, I also had an issue where people were touching fledglings. Um, they're like, oh, it's it, the bird is injured. It's need help. It's, like, it's falling. It's doing this. And they touch it and they pick it up and they take it away from where it was. And it was a fledgling. And a fledgling is a kind of between a baby and an adult. So it has its down feathers, it has a little bit of feathers on it, um, and it's starting to f starting to learn to fly. They'll jump out of the nest, you know, they'll fall, they'll move around weird. They're like, oh my gosh, like, let me take it. But it's a fledgling, so what it's doing is it's getting ready. You know, it's getting ready to be an adult. It's in that kind of the stage when you're going to college, but you're still like 18, so you're still a teenager, but, but you're in college, you're kind of that stage, you know, you're learning to fly, but you're not all the way up yet. So call a rehabber and we'll be able to assess the situation if the animal's actually injured. Because again, a fledgling could get injured. Like I had that, that cedar waxwing get injured and it was a fledgling. But sometimes it's just a goofy little fledgling that is trying its best to be an adult. So call a rehabber. Um... That's kind of it for the points I have and for general public. And just remember as the general public, we love you guys. We, we wouldn't be able, I can't find every injured animal out there. Neither can any rehabber. So without you guys reaching out to us and giving us that injured wildlife, we couldn't do it without you. We wouldn't be wildlife rehabbers without you. Um, just again, keep those things in mind. Keep the things, the etiquette I said in mind. And the best thing you can do for an animal sometimes is let it go, leave it go, and call a rehabber for them to come and assess the situation. Because um, we might know something about that species, and you might know something about the species too, so we all know it just leaves certain species go. It will leave the species go, leave the animal go. Um, so things like that. I kind of want to do another podcast. If, this, if you guys like this one, I want to do another one where I'll talk about like specific care of specific animals and examples that I've done, things that I've done within wildlife rehab and share some of my own stories and my funny stories, my sad stories, and the stories in between, funny and sad, the ones that make you laugh, but like you're also crying, <laughs> things like that. So I want to do something like that. If you guys are interested in that, please, you know, comment, DM me, whatever, whatever one you want to do. So thank you for listening to The Angry Environmentalist. Come back next week and always remember, continue to be angry and turn that anger into positive action to help the environment and animals. Thank you.